Welcome to the Heavenly Banquet, where the hungry are filled with good things. I'm Charlotte. I'm Chad. And today, Chad, I have a story to tell you. Okay. I was getting a pedicure this week. Ooh, brag. Look at me. <laughs> uh, and the nail tech who was working on the client next to me mentioned to her client and my nail tech that she was thinking about getting rebaptized. Oh. And my nail tech whipped her head around and said, Rebaptized? What on earth for? <laughs> and I just leaned back and put my sunglasses on because <laughs> I just wanted to hear what was going on yeah. and not get involved. And they know who I am and what I do and whatever, but I was like, please let this unfold in front of me. And the client or the tech who said she wanted to get rebaptized said that she was baptized as an adult mm -hmm. when it was, you know, the family had determined it was time for her daughter to get baptized and that she wanted to get rebaptized because she thought she did it for the wrong reasons. Oh. And it was like time to go again. Hmm. And it brought to mind maybe one of the first times that we ever hung out at seminary, for real, for real. And there was like more than a little kerfuffle between we nice Calvinists and our Anabaptist friend. And uh, over the issue of rebaptism. Yeah. yeah, it was crazy. We weren't debating. We were just. Screaming. <laughs> Screaming. <laughs> we were very passionate that first year in seminary. We were going to take over the world. Yeah. So I wanted to bring this up because it's still just such this common thing that I hear about. Yeah. And, you know, our tradition is one of where well, you got baptized, you got baptized. That's the end of it. There's Ooh. no such, there isn't a do-over. Right. I'm gonna I'm gonna say the thing that makes me uneasy about it is it seems spiritually abusive to me mm -hmm. because it seems like it's constantly putting people's baptism in doubt as though they have to be prepared somehow to receive it or that they have to merit in some way the grace that's conferred in baptism yeah because otherwise. You know, you have to try again. Now, this woman who wants to be rebaptized, it's also none of my business. But why wouldn't I think she would feel in another two or three years like. To do it again. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm with you. Well, you know, I was rebaptized. Mm. Uh -huh. um, you know, I was as a, as a child and then went through confirmation. And then, you know, I was just wild as the day is long. But then when I um, started to uh, look into the faith again and so on, I went to join a church and they were like, and I was like, I would like to join your church. Um, and they were like, well, in order to do that, you need to be baptized. I said, well, I've been baptized. Well, you need to do it again. And at the, at the time, I didn't know, I didn't really think, I was kind of, my attitude was, whatever I need to do, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. So I did it. It wasn't until later that I began to learn and, and realize that there's no need to do it. Mm -hmm. You know, the kind of the theology, at least in the 
in the Western tradition is informed by Augustine. Um, and, that, and correct me if I get this wrong, but the idea is that the sacraments, whether we're talking about uh, the Eucharist, communion, or baptism, the sacraments are a visible outward sign of an invisible grace. Mm -hmm. The efficaciousness of it is in divine grace, not, right. not in the act itself. Right. Um, Neither the person... Doing it. Right, or the person receiving. Right. And then, of course, with the baptism of children, it kind of mirrors the, the covenant with the Israelites and circumcision and so on, so that you bring them up in the, in the community and so on. So, I don't know. I, kind of like you say, number one, I think it kind of, I don't want to say cheapens the grace, but it, it turns what should be focused on the grace into more of a work, I think. Yes. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, for somebody that you know, somewhat obsessive, compulsive like me, I'd be getting baptized every year. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and so that creates a lot of doubt and anxiety, and it's just a bad idea. So <clears throat> it seems to also have some parallels, at least in my mind, to, you know, another thing that Augustine both experienced and writing against, which is this idea of clinical baptism. Right? So postponing baptism until the moment mm -hmm. of death kind of thing because there's a lingering question in the early church and one that obviously we're still dealing with of kind of if baptism is for remission of sin mm -hmm. what happens to the sins that i commit after baptism yeah um so maybe i should wait <laughs> if it's a one-time go and have that happen when i guess i wouldn't be able to sin um on my deathbed kind yeah. of situation. And so it seems like there's some some of that question behind some of these impulses with, you know, okay, I did get baptized, but then I was wilding out mm -hmm. or something. Yeah. Um, so let's do a do-over sort of thing. But the tradition has answered that question with other rites or, and has answered that question with, the sacrament of the Lord's table, mm -hmm. right, is another way that we're conferred uh, grace and offered an experience of Christ, which is salvific. Um, and so it's not baptism again. Mm -hmm. It's... Um, the continual nourishing. Yeah. By, by Christ or the Spirit, depending on that. Yeah. Well, and and even the covenant, you know, the uh, rites around reaffirmation of the baptismal covenant. Yeah. You know, which we see, um, you know, either around the beginning of the calendar year, or, you know, uh, the Easter vigil. Mm -hmm. We see any time that we're within a congregation where we're witnessing a baptism, mm -hmm. we participate in that rite in a way in which we are reaffirming our own baptism. Yes. So we're not kind of just left with this one time wash and dry and done. Yeah. It is the one it time is. event, is. but it's... I like the idea of the reaffirmation of your baptismal vows. I like to... Personally, I like to do that at least once a year. But I think that gives people the opportunity if they're like, you know what, I want to kind of... I hate to even use this rededicate my life kind of or, sure. or refresh or around Lent maybe yeah. would be a great time to do that 
But I like to, you know, um, I've served before when you do it as a whole church. So the whole congregation is reaffirming the baptismal vows together. Um, and, and I think that gives people an opportunity to um, maybe scratch that itch that they might want to do in getting rebaptized. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. Grace is working before you ever think about getting baptized. Right. Um, and grace is, is uh, you know, is in effect after all the time. These are signs of what God is doing, but they're mm -hmm. not what God is doing in itself. Now, this is just me. If, it, if that sounds theologically off, say so. Um, you know, we talk about baptism as the washing away of sin. Whenever that means, it, it, it transcends times. Transcends, not time, time. In other words, when you, in the moment of getting baptized, it's not in that moment that your sins are washed away. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm, I'm having trouble saying what. Right. It's not like a shower, that that's the time that you got clean. Literally. And then you're going to worry about yeah. getting clean again. Again, right. right. It's, I believe in one baptism for the remission of sins, that doesn't mean the remission of the sins that I did before baptism. Mm -hmm. It's for all time remission of sins. And so in our tradition, we talk about growing into our baptism. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which I like that language because it reminds us that, of course, again, it depends on what tradition you're in. But in our tradition, you know, it's a lifelong process. You're not going to become perfect. No. So it's a given. Uh, you're going to sin. You're going to strive. You're going to... But... So you don't need to be baptized again. Grace is always at work. You just keep seeking, keep keep growing. I don't know. I know there are other traditions that teach that you you can send your salvation away. So uh, maybe that creates more anxiety uh, if you're if you're in one of those traditions and, and thoughts about rebaptism. I don't know. To me, a robust understanding of grace should deal with most of that anxiety. Yeah, well, if nothing else, a robust understanding of grace would compel me to believe that it wouldn't matter how many times I got baptized, that <laughs> yeah. something else is acting yeah. um, all the time. So, yeah. I mean, this is why we call the sacraments, including baptism, a, a sign and a seal. Mm -hmm. um, it's a sign representing the grace, and it's a seal basically saying, look, this is done. Don't worry. You know, God's stamp of approval. <laughs> I haven't gotten to baptize a lot of people, but I've never thought of punctuating it with a boop. little boop. <laughs> God's seal of approval. Well, let's talk a little bit about um, the manner of baptism. Okay. How about that? So, uh, water. Water, yeah. Check. Definitely got to have water. And uh, Trinitarian language. Yeah, you're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Although, do we, do we want to bring up the fact that in some places in the New Testament, they're just baptized in the name of the Lord? I think that's, I mean, obviously... There's an earlier tradition yeah. of that because it's not just in the New Testament and Acts. We see that in some of our earliest Christian documents, too. Yeah. Um, or we see uh, similar things even with the extra biblical early Christian documents that look a lot like that ending of, of Matthew, whatever, that 
there's an a there's this Trinitarian language added later. Yeah, the the at the end of Matthew, it's pretty clear that that verse is added on later because it's yeah. not in the earliest uh, extant copies that we have. In Acts 19, Paul comes across. Um, I guess they were followers of John the Baptist and had been baptized by John the Baptist. And Paul asked them if they had received the Holy Spirit when they became believers, and they said, no, we've not even heard that there is such a thing as the Holy Spirit. And so he said, then, into what then were you baptized? And they answered, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, in Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So there's no Trinitarian formula there. Um, and presumably, this predates whoever added the Trinitarian formula on the end of Matthew. But yeah, so in baptism, you have to have two things present, water, and the formula in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Most traditions accept that as baptism. Yeah. Um, and um, and some traditions might add intent, meaning intent to baptize somebody. So if I'm, let's say I'm a kid, I'm serious. Are if I'm you accidentally baptized, no, I'm playing or something. Oh. Then that doesn't count. Okay. But if, some... if I'm I'm a preacher's kid, and I'm 10, and I'm baptizing the other children. Yeah, because I'm But irritating. I have no intention of welcoming them into the fellowship of the Christian community or anything else. Yeah. Then, then, yeah, then okay. that's something different. Okay. You know, this issue goes back to the Reformation with the Anabaptists, which means the, the, those who rebaptize. So there were certain Protestants during the Reformation that didn't accept the baptism of the Catholic Church. And so they rebaptized. That's why they were called Anabaptist. And there are churches today that will only accept baptism within their they don't accept other church baptism. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where a lot of this confusion comes from, because you have some churches that if you're gonna join that church like I did. Um, you have to be baptized. Uh, well, you have to be. I don't yeah, they would. But they wouldn't say again, would they? Because that's their no, because baptism is the valid. Their, theirs baptism. is the baptism. If they call it rebaptism, that's a, a misnomer. Right. Because they're assuming the previous one was not valid. So there's also an a way in which they're. And they would not know this word probably, but they're acting as Donatists. As well. Yes. So the idea being, so this is an early church controversy, but that uh, priests, bishops, etc., who had during persecution mm -hmm. um, renounced or lapsed in faith uh, rather than get, get murdered. Get murdered, yeah. yeah. Um, the question then becoming were their baptisms valid? After that. Yeah. Once they started doing their priestly function and baptizing people were those valid. Right. And the church answer is it doesn't matter who's mm -mm. baptizing because again talking and this is 
we're, t we're talking fourth century, third and fourth yeah, early, century early material. Yeah. That um, the idea being because the grace is conferred by God alone, mm -hmm. that it doesn't matter the character or really anything about mm -hmm. the person administering the sacrament other than water and that Trinitarian yeah. formula. And I think, and we see this arguments, I think, you know, came back so harshly and grossly, you know, in the last quarter or more of the 20th century, you know, around questions of ordination of LGBT people and mm -hmm. things like this, where, you know, this idea that if, even if, if you thought wrongly, if you thought that engaging in the uh, same sex relationships was some kind of sin, then the fear was that sinful people baptizing or administrating the mm. sacraments somehow negated the sacrament. Right. Well, it's not a work. Yeah, what's the phrase that Augustine used? Ex, uh, the idea that the efficaciousness of it is in the work and not the one doing the work? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, the basic idea is the grace is not made effect by the one doing it or the one receiving it, but as you said, by God alone. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, you could have a whoever baptized you just be wild and crazy and morally corrupt, and it's still good. Well, the opposite. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's there's that. The let's put a more positive spin on that, <laughs> okay. and say that you know I know Roman Catholic parishes mm -hmm. that are more uh, progressive, um, theologically and politically. And they recognize that space in theology there of saying, you know what, baptism used to be and should be women's work. It doesn't have to be a priestly function then for it to be efficacious and for us to call it a baptism. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it is, well, women in the home and... Um, women's groups, etc., mm -hmm. uh, that baptize. And those baptism meet, meet all of those qualifications mm -hmm. then. And it would be the same, you know, if someone came to either of us and said, you know, I was baptized, but it was by... My grandmother. My grandmother. But I, you know, I have reason to believe it was Trinitarian formula, it was water, and... She was intending to baptize me. Yeah. Absolutely no... I have no questions okay. about that. Yeah. Interesting. You know, maybe going back to where we started, whenever we can do that, I think that is within the bounds of good theological sense, to create less anxiety and worry mm -hmm. for folks mm -hmm. is what we should do. Yeah. You know, and I really like to emphasize grace because there's no sense in being worried. God loves us. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. God's not looking for, you know, us to trip up so we, you know, we can be punished. Right. Um, uh, so I don't know. I, I guess that's probably what worries me most when I encounter people who are worried about baptism. First, I try to dispel the notion that they even need it. And then I try to Affirm, look, God loves you. God's grace is efficacious. You're good to go, you know. Um, just seek to follow Christ, but don't worry. Don't worry about that. Right. 
Yeah. No, there's. I think that's really good to bring up because there's pastoral concerns as well. You don't just tell that person like, "Don't be a dummy. Yeah. You already gotten baptized. There's no reason for that." Yeah. Right. I mean, I was a dummy. I didn't know. Yeah, but I mean, you explain whatever. Mm-hmm. But then I would still do like a reaffirmation covenant or something. They're feeling. Mm-hmm. They're feeling something. Yeah. Right, and there's something they want to mark in their lives or. Like you said, some kind of change. And whether it's around a change in life or a change in the calendar year, you know, uh-huh. there's something they want. Um, and so you can explain that the baptism was absolutely efficacious. Yeah. But let's mark it, you know, again in some way. Reaffirm your baptismal vows. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's a spiritual need there that they're trying to meet. In seeking rebaptism, I will say back, you know, back to the idea of growing into your baptism or the role that the Eucharist plays in uh, sanctification. Mm-hmm. On, that many of these traditions that want or urge or affirm rebaptism have a very low theology. Of the sacrament of the Lord's table. Yes. And so the place sort of to get a little piece of grace or some kind of contact there would be through baptism. And and bring that up because historically when it's when the people are craving something that the church is not giving them, Mm -hmm. that they reach outside of the church Mm -hmm. to grasp it through other rituals that they're kind of inventing or playing with in that way. And so I, th- I think there's a way that we could understand a lot of this around you know, where is it? Where is the refueling? Where is the next contact with the divine? At the table. It should be at the table, rightfully. Yeah. Um, and that these are generally bodies that either don't participate at the table period or you know maybe it's a quarterly thing or something that's very reserved or understand it more as an agape meal or a memorial meal mm-hmm. than a a thanksgiving a eucharist a participation where you are spiritually nourished yeah 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 it's just a memory right rather than a representation and a participation with in in Christ yeah which I guess is is now going to bring me in a segue onto into a rant on weekly celebration yes. of the Lord's Supper. I think it should we be have weekly. to do it every Sunday. He told he told us to do that, <laughs> and we said, "Well, yeah, we'll do it four times." Yeah, a year. once or once a month is about good. I've heard churches say things like, "If we do it too often, it'll stop being special." Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Getting to touch and encounter your Lord, I get bored of it? Stop. You you don't understand what it is. You're acting like it's just a a weird breakfast you have at church. Which means pastors need to be communicating. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, go off, girl. I would like to see it done every Sunday. Yeah. 
And the upside is you don't have to hear, you know, the, the, the homily will be a little shorter. So. Of course it will. If you get to tell the whole story of salvation history and... Yeah. And the great prayer of Thanksgiving. Yeah. And Christ's commands to love and all of that that's all contained within that right and an actual encounter with him. Yeah. Yeah, that'll that'll take some time off of your homily at Auda. Yeah, yeah.